Hey everyone, and welcome to the Gen CEOs podcast. Today on the show, only for the second time in Gen CEOs history, we have two guests. Uh, Liz Tony and Larry Milstein are the co-founders of Prism, a Gen Z-focused community and marketing agency. Since founding Prism a year and a half ago, Liz and Larry have worked with brands like American Express, Sotheby's, American Ballet Theater, and the Financial Times. Today on the show, we're discussing Gen Z and all things luxury, the current state and future of the luxury market, how Gen Z is changing and shaping luxury brands, and why secondhand markets are exploding in popularity. Thanks for joining me, you guys, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. We're excited to be here. Thank you. Very excited to be here. I want to start off just by talking about uh, Prism. What is Prism, in your own words, I know I said a little bit, and why? What, like, what gap did you guys see in the market that led to you founding the company? So I guess I can start just giving a little bit on Prism, and then I'm sure Liz can give our founder story, which I think is it's kind of like a serendipity rom-com. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's great. Um, so basically, what's unique about Prism is, yes, we are a modern marketing agency and next-gen consultancy, but we're powered by a community of over 500 Gen Zers globally. And so when we come to the table and start advising brands on you know, what's relevant for a Gen Z audience. We're not just speaking as, you know, two individuals, you know, experts. We're speaking um, kind of backed by the insights of a community that we're pretty much in communication with every day. Um, And so that's really powering every recommendation that we give. So then I'll hand it over, I guess, to Liz to share about how we kind of ended up in this world together. Yeah, so um, my background is, you know, I'm a millennial, uh, full disclosure, I'm not a Gen Zer. Um, and so a lot of people ask, you know, how did you get involved with Generation Z and what sort of sparked your interest there as, as a millennial? Um, so my background is mostly fashion and marketing. Um, I actually started in the agency world um, years ago, and then I went to Tommy Hilfiger. I joined the marketing team there um, for several years and always had these sort of entrepreneurial pursuits on the side. Um, And then ultimately was brought on to a brand holding company to build out a Gen Z fashion line with Maddie Ziegler, who, if you don't know who she is, she's a a celebrity teen icon. She was in all the Sia music videos. Um, And so I ended up working really closely with her for about three years. uh, And this was back in 2015. So it all kind of happened really accidentally. I didn't set out to, to work with Generation Z or youth culture. Um, And it was at this time where Generation Z really sparked my interest. You know, I think as a brand marketer, we're always kind of trying to understand what's coming ahead of us and trying to see around the corner. Um, And so, you know, what I saw with this particular group was that was quite different from millennials was their access to information, their access to technology at a really young age. Um, and their sort of creative nature as well. I think one of the big differences is like, you know, millennials, we created a lot of the platforms in the early days, whether it was like Facebook or Instagram, or even back in the days of like MySpace or like Napster or something like this. But um, Generation Z came in and really sort of dug into the platforms and they, they started truly creating content on their own and really teaching themselves, accessing information. And that's really where uh, my interest sort of sparked. And I started just dedicating all of my time to, to Gen Z and started consulting companies as well. Um, and, uh, and that's how Larry and I met. It was at an event, I believe a panel at Soho House, and we connected there out of this mutual shared interest in, in developing brands and marketing and strategies for the next generation. Um, and here we are. And I think that was probably two and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, and now we're a year into Prism. 
So very exciting. Larry, can you talk a little bit more um, about your background as well? I know that you have, uh, you know, co-founded some other initiatives and ventures. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting. I think, you know, technically, depending on, um, you know, what research firm you look at, I'm either Gen Z or like very at the t- very much at the tail end of millennial. So I'm this interesting like Cusper case. And my first exposure to Gen Z marketing actually happened when I was working at Alibaba in China in their headquarters. And I was part of this group they called the Global Dreamers. I was the only American student part of this class of 20. And I saw firsthand how this, you know, super innovative company um, basically just brought in a group of college age students to run around this like Google size campus and just observe things that they thought um, could be improved. And it kind of blew my mind because I hadn't really seen anything of that kind of equivalent nature in the US. So long story short, I graduate, um, I join American Express in their strategic planning group, um, which is this great internal consulting um, division within the company. And we kept on speaking about millennials because at the time that was the next gen, that was the that coveted demo. And here I am as kind of the youngest, the, the lowest on the totem pole And I'm raising my hand saying, hey, I know this isn't a priority, but let's do some research on Gen Z, my generation. Um, Let's understand how they differ from millennials. And it was at a time when it wasn't a priority. So I was able as a very junior level individual to kind of forge ahead and spearhead this research. Fast forward two years later, um, it is the largest consumer cohort. We're 40% of global consumers. And um, I ended up leaving American Express with kind of the support of my team to found Prism with Liz. And um, a year in, they're they're one of our clients, which is like, I think one of the most gratifying elements of being able to really see this opportunity to better inform and partner um, with these incredible heritage institutions and then make a difference in that space. So that was my kind of winding journey to Gen Z. Um, And then in terms of, you know, some of the other work I've done, I think it's kind of quintessential of Gen Zers that we're kind of like the side hustle generation. So um, in kind of the philanthropic space or with Zoomtopia, which I can share a little bit more later, um, I'm sure like Liz finds it no surprise that, you know, as we've been building this company, each of us, even members of our team have also been hustling, doing other, you know, initiatives we care about. You mentioned uh, American Express being one of your clients. What are some of the other yeah. uh, exciting projects you guys have worked on uh, since you guys founded? Um, so we've been working with American Ballet Theater, which is the you know America's leading ballet company. You know that quintessential. You go to you know see the Nutcracker with your grandmother. That classic fixture of American culture. Um, and as you can imagine, you know during this pandemic as theaters have shut down, it's really hurt cultural institutions, especially these kind of blue chip established ones that are selling out, you know, the Met Opera Theater. And so we had the opportunity to kind of come on and essentially they they were, they were willing, they were game to take this risk and allow us to launch their TikTok. Why is, you know, a ballet company with, you know, a hundred plus history, or I think it's 80 years, 80 year history, trying to join this Gen Z platform. At first it might sound strange, but it makes sense because if every single day close to a billion views are, you know, viewed in the dancing space by Gen Zers, you know, maybe doing like the Renegade, 
um, you know, why couldn't, you know, the leading dance company capture a share of that pie? And that was the hypothesis we tested and we brought to them and they, you know, were exciting to, uh, excited to explore. And so um, our core kind of idea that I think unifies Prism projects is how do you translate heritage established brands um, in a way that feels relevant for Gen Z? And in this case, we thought about ways you could take the incredible talent of the dancers and make it hyper tailored to a TikTok audience. And so we did a master class with the dancers to teach them TikTok 101. We came up with content calendar from everything of duet challenges to makeup tutorials to behind the scenes content. And then we launched it in August and you know we've had over 2.2 million views in less than three months. And it was, I think, one of the fastest growing and most gratifying elements because on one hand, young dancers are being exposed to, you know, this art form they may never have had a chance to in the current environment. And on the other hand, we have TikTok come to us being like, we want more. We want to prove that we're not just this, you know, single niche, but that we can have, you know, these established brands succeed as well. So it's been a really cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. We've also worked um, with uh, Sotheby's and the Winter Show as well. These are also obviously massive, you know, 100 year old companies and heritage brands. Um, but on the other end, we also work with startups. Um, so we're working with a CBD beverage brand. Um, we're focusing on a fashion line right now that's um, targeting mostly gender neutral clothing um, and they want to target millennials and generation Z. Um, and so we'll, we'll develop focus groups for them. We work on their brand strategy and all of their content and their creative as well. Um, and, you know, one of the other big things that we've been working on is I think this is a little different for, for an agency and consultancy and something that um, I think just naturally occurred to us, you know, for Larry and I and also our team, but we're also building Prism as its own brand, which is really unique. Um, and something I think we're all really proud of. I think, you know, we're as an agency or consultancy, we're obviously hired to build out communities and strategies for other brands, but we want to prove that we can also do it ourselves. And if we can build our own brand, it also gives us a lot of creative freedom. Um, and so, you know, to also take risks and like try new things that maybe our clients are a little risk averse or they don't want to try those things right away. And then, of course, we have our own sort of look and feel and our own content that we create. And we have, you know, people on our team who are really sort of dedicated to to building Prism with us. As I mentioned at the top, um, we want to talk about the luxury market today. And it's something that we really haven't talked much about on this podcast, but I think is super important um, to Gen Z, as many of Gen Z's favorite brands happen to be luxury brands, um, mm -hmm. which on first thought, you know, might not make a lot of sense to a lot of people because you figure many of them don't have the means to purchase um, from these brands right now. Uh, so with that in mind, how would you describe Gen Z's relationship with uh, luxury brands? Yeah, I mean, I think you perfectly kind of hit the nail on the head by saying it's a strange time to talk about the luxury market. You know, yeah. the you know global economy is facing you know, severe contractions, there are lockdown measures. So the retail experience is, you know, challenged. It is a strange time, but it's actually, I think, against this kind of uncertain backdrop that Gen Z is actually exerting its influence on what it means to be, you can call it a luxury brand, you can call it a heritage brand. I think we prefer even like an aspirational brand, something that catches Gen Zers attention. It's not an everyday purchase. Um, but it's something that really informs their, you know, sense of aspiration. 
Um, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, Gen Zers across the board are already 40% of all consumers, but we're, you know, actually expected to account for 10 to 15% of the luxury market in the next, you know, five years. So it's not like we have a nascent spending power in this space. We actually are going to be a significant share of the consumer purchasing power. And so I think luxury brands are, are waking up to that. And so there are a lot of kind of takeaways from that, which is like, what does a Gen Zer look for in a brand that is aspirational versus, you know, a brand that may have really resonated and kind of been that model of a luxury brand, you know, 20, 25 plus years ago. And it's, it's dramatically different. And so we can kind of go into, into the specificities of it, but going back to your, your initial point, it's just, I think there's this mis there was a misconception that Gen Zers didn't have a, a role to play in this conversation. And now brands are scrambling to be like, oh wait, no, we gotta win them over. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I mean, if you if we define what luxury or aspiration is, you know, it's it's about, you know, comfort and excellence in craftsmanship and excellent customer service. And it's about being small batch and really time you know, luxury is, is time and it's appreciating details or ingredients and really just appreciating something extraordinary, which I think across generations, everyone can kind of um, understand and um, sort of appreciate the, the, you know, quality goods or moments or experiences. But the luxury industry, you know, like Larry said, it's, it's undergoing an incredible transformation right now. Um, and, and retail is certainly shifting and brands are looking for new ways to connect with audiences. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think Generation Z, obviously, they're digital forward and they're sort of, um, you know, potentially going back to basics in a way. Um, but, you know, their their ethical and their social views um, are really driving this sort of urgency around uh, change, I think, amongst among the luxury brands and organizations right now. Yeah, so let's let's go deeper into that. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. You know what what does Gen Z expect from? Uh, should I call them aspirational brands now or luxury? I mean, <laughs> let's call let's call them luxury um, or okay. aspirational. Yeah. I think interchangeable. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, what does Gen Z expect from these brands that differs from older generations? I guess we could start with like on a brand level, and yeah. then we can, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about on like a product level. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's really apparent, and this probably applies to all brands, but I think it's particularly true in the luxury market when when people say Gen Z votes with their dollar, that is true. And when you're spending more, Gen Zers are going to be even more intentional about how those dollars are being put forward. And so it starts with establishing a clear set of values and having a brand really act upon them. Gen Zers are, you know, definitely one of the most progressive generations in history. We are, we are the most diverse generation in history, and we want to associate with brands that are an extension of our own value set. And so there are a couple examples of brands, I think, that have had runaway success here because they are values first. And so if you look at, you know, a Savage X Fenty, um, which I think is taking massive market share from, let's call it like old school um, mall luxury of like a Victoria's Secret, They've done that by being, you know, celebrating trans bodies, disabled, you know, individuals, body types of all sizes. And Gen Zers look at that and say, hey, this is what I aspire to. You know, I see myself reflected in this. The price point might be higher, 
I might not be able to afford, you know, the full collection, but I'm going to celebrate this. And that also influences upwards to other generations. Um, I think another example on kind of the smaller end side of things or the emerging brands, um, we've hosted a recent fashion focus group for a client and people kept on bringing up Mad Happy. And that's a, you know, a very different kind of um, analogy about being values first, but you know, as a generation that's experienced, you know, historic rates of loneliness or depression, being a brand that builds your identity around destigmatizing mental health and having that carried through with each, you know, from the marketing to the actual product, that's something that's, you know, really effective for Gen Zers, even when you're selling, you know, $100 plus sweatshirts. Um, it's that value system that I think people really crave. Yeah. And I would add to that, um, Something else that's really interesting that I've seen recently, um, specifically, I think, with fashion, and I guess you could carry this over into art or other uh, sort of luxury sectors, too. But um, I think because of Gen Z's access to technology and information and all these platforms like a TikTok or YouTube, um, they're able to obviously inform themselves of what's going on in the fashion world. They're able to watch the shows. Um, you know, obviously everything's virtual and digital and immediate right now, so they can see them in real time. And then they can really dive in and go on YouTube and become a fashion critic at a very young age. And um, we see people like um, AOO Joe or Luke Meager or um, Pam Boy. I think they're all on YouTube. Um, or High Fashion Talk is a great example. They have a private Facebook page of a ton of just millennials and really in young, young millennials and Gen Zers who are just avid, you know, they're really interested in the fashion world. And it's a great place for them to get insights. But there's really this, you know, democratization of, of the fashion critic and, and, you know, the editors and um, the the buyers and you know the, the designers and the really heavy players within the luxury and fashion world are taking note and they're seeing these fashion critics, these really young um, contributors on YouTube just using what they have where they are to create, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or on YouTube. Um, and they're really well educated about it. And they um, it's it's been a fascinating sort of shift um, to see these two worlds kind of collide and, and disrupt. I want to reframe my question a little bit about the on the product level. How do you think that Gen Z has changed the luxury market on a product level? Like one thing that comes to mind for me, you know, is the the blurred lines between luxury and streetwear fashion yeah. uh, and brand collaborations, especially in, in the fashion world, limited edition drops. Um, what do you think that Gen Z is changing on a product level? Well, I think for, for me, the first thing that I think of is it's um, it's casualization. You know, it's this sort of change in this casual aesthetic. Um, and, and, you know, how that sort of in interpreted on social media and across e-commerce and through content. Um, and we're just really fascinated also by just generally like this high low between, you know, if you see, for, for example, the Gucci challenge that's sort of going viral on TikTok for the past couple of months where a lot of these TikTokers or, um, or just creators in general are taking what they have in their closet already um, that may or may not be street style and they're just layering it and adding color and making it really fun and sort of idiosyncratic. Um, and so I, can, I guess that kind of goes back to the democratization, but it's sort of taking luxury and making it casual and fun um, is what, what I'm seeing. 
Yeah. And I think just to give like an even more recent example of that, I think, you know, Pyre Moss has been one of like the runaway brand success stories and Reebok hiring like Kirby Jean Raymond, um, I think shows that you can run this super high end runway ready um, fashion line, but then, you know, taking that in incredible creative energy and placing it into, you know, more of a mass streetwear or athletics brand, like that's something that is going to get Gen Zers attention and is going to excite them. And, you know, I think Liz made a, a great point about just like Gen Zers embracing this high-low and not trying to, you know, take anything too seriously. Um, I think there's a much larger conversation as well about investing in really high quality items, um, which I think also is a really interesting segue to the second hand and the resale marketplace, because I think those actually go really hand in hand. I want to get to the to the second hand market. Yeah. Um, but what role does um, brand storytelling play in yeah. in Gen Z's, uh, you know, perception of luxury brands? And how is that all weaved through this entire mm. thing from the brand level to the product and even down to the retail experience? Yeah, I mean, I have strong thoughts on this about like how brand storytelling has really evolved for a Gen Z era. And I think it comes down to just like being unapologetic about your personality as a brand. I think that there was this really, you know, longstanding impression that luxury brands had to be super minimalist and discreet and in some ways almost have this air of intimidation in order to like, you know, create that covetable experience. And I think Gen Zers are really vocalizing that and saying that is not what we want. We want to feel represented and included and find a way to both really covet your items but not feel pushed away because you know what, there are a lot more options nowadays. And so we don't want to feel like, you know, shut at the door. And so I think examples of that is like, you know, Gucci, as Liz mentioned, whether it's the challenge on, you know, social media, or even just their brand storytelling, they have really leaned into this idea of meme culture and self-parody and brand vandalization, you know, they launched their Gucci fake or not, you know, line um, just, you know, a few weeks ago. And it's totally kind of a wink and a nod to the irreverent humor of Gen Z. Like we've grown up at a time of, frankly, a really strange and uncertain and sometimes, you know, postmodern, just absurdist world. Like that is just <laughs> the environment of growing up in the in the 2010s and in, you know, the 21st century. And I think brands that are, you know, pretending that like, we're, like things are normal times and that we can just kind of forge forward and not acknowledge kind of the, sometimes the absurdity of the world that we're in are not speaking to us because we're, we're operating in different languages. So Yes, brand storytelling, don't be afraid to be bold and be brash and sometimes even be humorous if that fits into um, your identity. Yeah, and also from from my experience, just building the Maddie brand and also working with some of our clients, I think for, for many years now, brands and organizations and institutions have really projected their story onto their customers or their audience, um, whether it be Gen Z or not. Um, and what we've seen, what's really different and what I experienced at Maddie was 
breaking down those walls and creating this two-way dialogue with the audience is really key. And we've done that really well with American Ballet Theater um, as well, you know, very recently. Um, and, you know, as far as content storytelling as well, um, you know, again, it's about not just projecting, but listening to them and creating content with them and collaborating and also embracing radical transparency and being held accountable and really communicating that through your storytelling um, and creating community is obviously, you know, everybody is focused on that and it's easier said than done. Um, and that's another form, I think, or, or tool sort of in the toolkit of, of building content is, you know, identifying who your community is. And um, I think a great example is, is Parade Underwear, if you're familiar with them. And it's not luxury, but there's a lot to learn from their tactic and their strategy and how they pulled in an incredible they really galvanize an incredible community around their brand, um, all different body shapes, all different ethnicities, and they really did an incredible job of seeding their product um, within these friend groups. And it just sort of amassed, you know, and grew from there. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, I promise we'll get to the secondhand market. But Larry, I think you brought up a really good point um, about, and I don't know if there's further to dig into this, but mm-hmm. like, there, there's a sense of the, the the humor, the style of humor in Gen Z that, you know, pervades Gen Z and TikTok in particular is like this self-deprecation, mm-hmm. uh, not taking yourself too seriously. How does how does a luxury brand that represents, you know, things like exclusivity and, and status and and has this air around it, like you said, how do they navigate that like dichotomy of being self-deprecating while still a- appealing uh, or appearing um as like an aspirational yeah look i think it's a degree of self-deprecating but i think it's more about i think just being authentic i think that so much of you know social media and digital media of i'd say the first half of you know the past decade was so much about creating this perfectly glossy you know um curated um airbrushed impression and that worked for a while for brands. I mean, many millennial brands, I'm sure we can all think of, um, built $100 million companies from that aesthetic. But I think Gen Z is now coming at a time where we're like, we know that the influencer who posted that perfect photo had to, you know, take 100 shots and probably was yelling at her boyfriend. Like, we, that the gig <laughs> is off. Like, and so I think that that also applies to brands as well, where, you know, yes, have gorgeous product imagery, but let us in on the story as well, you know, have actual real people, you know, collaborate with you, you know, create, you know, don't create more marketing, create more storytelling. And I think that is the mm-hmm. distinction between a TikTok built brand and an Instagram built brand. An Instagram built brand is beautifully curated marketing images. And now they're starting to tell some stories, the successful ones. TikTok is you can ask TikTok themselves. They don't call themselves a social media app. They call themselves an entertainment app. And so brands that are winning on TikTok are creating entertaining content. And that's more than just posting gorgeous models walking in your clothes or, you know, perfectly still product shots. It's like, how do you take that trending song and build it into your, your kind of, you know, product formation? How do you um, create awesome edits? How do you, you know, lean into meme culture um, and get in on the joke? Because if you're not mm-hmm. in on the joke, then you're out as a brand. 
what um do you guys have any brands that come to mind that are doing a really good job at this and it doesn't even have to be just within luxury brands yeah i mean so moving off the tiktok example and all that lays maybe think of a, a tiktok example that it does a great job for her going back to this dichotomy of having to be exclusive in order to be a luxury brand i think telfar is the strongest counter example mm-hmm. to that like Definitely. i would say right now if there's a brand that we've heard most from Gen Zers that they just adore, it's Telfar. And I think the reason for that is they've created this it bag, but they haven't done it by making it extremely exclusive to get. Like compare this to like a Birkin or something where like that the whole mystique of it was like, I guess how you fa- how you got you know that bag. With Telfar, they've actually launched a bag security program this summer where on a certain day, if you registered and purchased this bag, you were guaranteed it. They did not want to create this sense of false scarcity. They wanted to bring people in on that experience. And you know what? They were rewarded for it. People really appreciated the fact that they were transparent about their production, supply chain process, transparent about pricing, and you know allowed people to access it and it didn't harm the brand at all it didn't make it any less aspirational if anything it made it more earnest and people were like oh yeah this is a brand that when i'm walking around the streets you know of new york city i am proud to wear this bag and it's for that reason people jokingly refer to it as like the bushwick birkin because you know sure it's a status symbol but it also is much more than that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's an example. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that there are a lot of brands that are trying to jump onto this, like this drop model scarcity mm-hmm. idea right. that have no business doing that. Um, yep. And and there's clearly other ways that work and maybe we're moving away from that in a way. But go ahead, Liz. I know, I know that you were going to think of an example as well. Well, I think that's a great thing to bring up. I mean, I think it's a larger conversation for the industry. And, you know, we work with another brand that's it's a fragrance brand. And it's not about the drop necessarily. I mean, that kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of fizzles out, you know, like you said, um, it just is, is sort of trendy. But it's also about going back to your resources and your materials and, you know, pre-orders and understanding what you have to make, you know, and, and sort of looking at the back end of your business and sort of planning forward and and planning your marketing transparently around, Hey, you know, we can only make so much because this is what we can afford to do right now, or this is what we have access to, or, or we're just going to make something really, really special. And there's only 12 of them, you know, and that sort of small batch mentality can be really powerful, whether you call it a drop or a knot or a drip or whatever. Um, It's just about telling that story and being real with your brand on the back end, especially, especially if you're small, um, I think some other brands that I'm watching really closely that our community is also watching closely is Kenship. Um, I think they're doing a great job with their content and they're building out their community and also, you know, Topicals and Parade uh, that we mentioned before, um, you know, Fenty, Yeezy, House of Sunny has been mentioned a lot. Um, Pura Oots, I think I'm saying that right. Very cool brand. I think what's also interesting about some of these brands and, and also Bobble House is another one. Um, they actually will hire their friends and their Gen Z super talented creatives to sort of ingrain into their brand to create their content. So the videographers, the stylists, the models, everything is like really built around their own community and their Gen Zers. 
Um, and Beyonce's new drip campaign is just super powerful. I, I don't even have words for it. Um, and the same with Fenty, you know, their, their recent campaigns as well. Um, and with Pura Utes and, and House of Sunny, those specific brands, they're small, um, but they're focused really on here's where our product is made. Here's who's making it. Here's this very rich story, this transparency about where it comes from um, and, and the happiness around that situation and creating these beautiful products that feel handmade and special. And when you buy it, you have this one piece and you know where it came from, you know who made it and not everyone has it. And it doesn't have to be $3,000. It can be $50 and feel really luxurious, you know, mm-hmm. and feel so, so special. And so th- those are some of the brands that are top of mind for me. Can I add one other comment? Cause yeah. I think those are incredible brand examples. What I think we're almost grasping at, and I think we should say, you know, outright is that we haven't actually seen a luxury brand nail it on TikTok. You know, I think that, or mm-hmm. let's call, you know, like the very established LVMH, you know, level mm-hmm. brands do that. And I think that that's really setting the the pace for other smaller luxury brands that are kind of perhaps a little too, um, you know, cautious or risk averse to do it. And I think we have to say unequivocally that that is a missed opportunity. Like if you are not coming up with a TikTok strategy in the year 2020 or 2021, you are losing the chance to be an early adopter. And you know, it doesn't take much to do it effectively. It takes some savvy Gen Zers with editing skills and good ideas. Um, so shameless plug to say that like we're ready to go, <laughs> but also words of wisdom to say, start start putting some budget, marketing budget behind this effort because Instagram is really, um, you know, just going to be one of many now. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's go ahead and talk about the the explosion of the secondhand market. Um, yeah. Why do you think the secondhand market is so popular with Gen Z? You know, is it? I I, I guess there are a lot of factors. Let, let's hear what what you think. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting is there are a lot of tailwinds that are leading the secondhand marketplace to be a a really strong force of um of energy of, of attention and and investment um and dollars because i think first gen zers across the board prioritize sustainability probably more than any other generation because of the fact that this is the future that we're inheriting in so many ways like the the risks of not being more sustainably minded are much more acutely felt by the generation that's going to be enduring them so that's one thing I think the second thing is that we are, you know, a lot more pragmatic and fickle minded and we, you know, recognize that if you can get, you know, a really gorgeous, you know, secondhand leather coat on the real real or on Depop versus like a really like plasticky thing from like a fast fashion house like Zara, like that's just that's just smart. Like that's that's what you should do. Like if you're thinking about building a wardrobe, like please in, invest in a higher quality thing. And I think Gen Zers across the board recognize that as well. And so the resale industry is actually predicted to be worth fit over 50 billion by 2023. And it's across all levels of the, you know, the market from you know, the super high end of, you know, the real real or what goes around comes around or rebag to, you know, the peer to peer marketplace, which is, I think the final, you know, momentum behind this space, which is 
people want to make shopping a social experience. And, you know, when you're on Depop and you see this person you follow and, you know, they're consistently putting out these incredible fits, like that's going to drive you to be like, oh, cool. Like I see how this is done in a way that feels much more human and it's not on a mannequin. It's on a real person. Yeah, it feels really special. And then also they're they're looking at it as a valuable item that they can resell and potentially make money off mm. of as well. So it's very they're definitely wearing their entrepreneurial hats, um, even as young as, you know, 16, 15 in high school, which is so fascinating to me. I mean, on that point, it's like, and that's why this conversation about luxury is not just like, we're talking about like $500 perfumes. Like it's really just a conversation around quality because Gen Zers, I would say, are more likely to invest in a higher quality good, as Liz said, because we recognize the value that it can possess mm -hmm. in the resale marketplace. And by the way, it aligns with our values as well. So it's it's a huge win-win and why we're the driving force behind it. Yeah, yeah. And it just feels really like you feel like you have one of a kind, a one piece. Um, and I, I shop that way as well. I know millennials who shop that way too. Um, and, you know, vintage and, and secondhand can just feel, um, you know, accessible in a way, but you still have something that no one else has. And people come up to you and they're like, oh, where did you get that? And you're like, well, I found it in this thrift store, this vintage store. And they're like, oh, they're so disappointed because they can't go get one. Um, but it, you feel like, oh, you know, I have this and no one else can copy me where you know, I, I certainly still buy things from Zara. And I, you know, I try not to as much anymore just for sustainable reasons. But I hate more than anything when I buy a shirt or a dress and I'm walking down the street of New York City and I see like another girl wearing it. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so. so I'm going to ask you guys to predict the future a little bit. Um, Love it. It's Halloween season. <laughs> Crystal ball exactly. is out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just talk a little bit about, you know, the future relationship between luxury brands and Gen Z um, and how you think these brands are going to have to continue to evolve, uh, to continue to appealing to Gen Z while remaining authentic to their to their core. Yeah, I think um, I think there's pressure on luxury. I think if you are within the heritage luxury houses, there's this challenge of how do we remain true to who we are? You know, how do we continue forward with couture when we see streetwear that can't possibly be the only future for fashion? Um, and so, you know, what does that casual aesthetic look like against couture and that high-low? And, you know, I think there are there, you know, to Larry's point, get on TikTok and rethink how you're utilizing social media and telling your stories and rethink your e-commerce experience and rethink your in-home experience. Um, so I'll, from my crystal ball, I have a sort of interesting perspective on this, um, just from recent conversations that we've had with a lot of Gen Zers over the past couple of weeks. Through COVID, you know, people are spending a lot of time at home. A lot of Gen Zers have, you know, lost their jobs or they're looking for new jobs or they're moving or maybe they have maintained their jobs. Um, and what we're finding is that they're becoming almost more spiritual in a way and they're sort of going back to basics, some of them. Um, it's, just, it's just a bit of a trend that I'm seeing where they sort of value mementos um, during this period of time, whether it's an issue of Vogue magazine or it's an actual hardback book or it's gardening or buying a new plant or it's getting outdoors or there's this new sort of trend of like forest bathing, <laughs> sort of like sunbathing, but just being outside, you know, in, in the open air and, and also just cooking and like using your hands. So my 
I'm sort of questioning and, and I'm curious around how do brands now sort of activate and create these experience in the home for the next generation or multiple generations? And what mm. does that sort of look like? And is that a really special, you know, experience in the home? We're talking to um, a publication right now about a big event that we're planning that's sort of um, under wraps. And we're sort of thinking about obviously activating virtually on a digital platform, but then how do we carry that into the home in a really special activational way as well? Yep. I would just completely add to that by saying like, when you think about, like as Liz was saying, like this idea of how do you embrace your heritage, but also continue forward. I think about this meme that's kind of gotten some like viral success recently, which is like how it started and how it's going. And they've done like a version of it with, um, you know, these fashion brands where they'll like show like Givenchy, like how it started, like of Audrey Hepburn. And then it's like, where that's like where it started and then it's like how it's going it's like showing people like with like the shoes that look like socks and everyone's just like kind of mind blown being like whoa like we really strayed far from like the original vision so I think it's a balance like I think that you know how do you um look to the archives of your brand and really pay homage to that but do it in a way that feels fresh and interesting um you know I think about Gucci recently relaunching their Jackie bag and it's like Gucci obviously is a super maximalist brand, um, but Gen Zers also do have an appreciation for, for heritage and for history, and they want a story to be told. So I don't think you need to go, you know, to the hyper extreme and completely divorce yourself from, you know, your founding principles in order to capture Gen Z's attention. I think Gen Zers, if we're one thing, we're able to really sift and filter through inauthentic things. Um, but I think it means like not resting on your laurels. It means being able to, you know, take something, revive it, shift it, evolve it, um, and make it speak to, you know, a 2020 and beyond audience, which is clearly harder said than done. What a, what a, I was just going to say, what a Gen (laughs) Gen Z way to answer a business strategy question by relating (laughs) it to a meme. (laughs) Yes. Honestly, I speak in memes. I think in memes. Um, yes. No, that was beautiful. Uh, go ahead, Liz. Yeah, that was great. And also just fo- continuing to focus on sustainability and inclusivity, which is which should be pretty obvious at this point. But no, I love what Larry said. That was great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your, your knowledge on this this topic. Um, what? How can people reach out to you guys if they have more questions or if they want to work with you uh, both personally and on like a business uh, level? Amazing. So if you are a Gen Zer, we would love to have you part of our community. All you need is just a clear perspective and an eagerness to participate in the various projects we're doing. So um, you can either go on our website and there's a form you fill out and we'll be in touch shortly um, or literally DM us on Instagram. We are we are very active on Instagram. So that's the Gen Z cohort. Liz, how about clients? Um, so you can find us at helloprism.com. So it's P-R-Z-M. There's no I. We removed that. Um, and then just at hello P-R-Z-M on Instagram, on TikTok, etc. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys uh, so much again. Amazing. Thanks, Nick. Great. Thanks for having us. 
Thanks for listening to the Gen CEOs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out adweek.com slash Gen CEOs for the latest episodes and hashtag Gen CEOs on Twitter to join the conversation. This episode was produced by Heidi Palermo with audio production from Josh Rios. Our theme music is by Marcus Horan. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at nick.gardner at adweek.com. I'm your host, Nick Gardner. See you next time.